Episode 138, Dennis Bernstein, how you doing? One day to opening night. I'm doing great, Jay. It is absolutely upon us, the 2022-2023 season. Recently uh, on mayorsmanner.com, we put out the final roster, uh, what was going to happen there. Jacob Mavari going on waivers, Brant Clark making the team. A lot to talk about, Dennis, but let's hold that for the third period. Plenty of Kings talk today. Uh, L.A. Kings GM Rob Blake, a frequent guest here on the program, uh, certainly at the beginning of the year. We'll have him on to talk about what's coming up. Uh, I'm sure we both have a, a long laundry list of questions. But why don't we take a couple laps around the NHL to begin things here today, Dennis, with the season upon us. People always ask, well, what do you think about this? Who's going to win this division? What's going to happen? So this seems like a good time, Dennis. Uh, why don't we just start Let's just right out of the gate? Let's get out to the Metro division. Who do you think finishes atop the Metro division? Break it down for us. Even though the Rangers are a sexy pick, I think the most complete team um, is Carolina. Uh, and if they had uh, a patches, Max Patch ready to start the season, they'd be even more dangerous. But adding Brent Burns and subtracting Tony D'Angelo, this is a complete team. There's some questions in the middle because it's second-line center right now. It's Kakanyemi, Ravini Trocek. He, the kids really got to step up. So I think there's some questions in the middle. But this team isn't going to give up a lot defensively. They're very well coached. So I like them to win the division. Probably the Rangers second. Interesting. So uh, we, we have an agreement, at least at the top of the division. I, I do like Carolina to win the Metro division. I could even see the coach uh, winning the Jack Adams this year. Yeah. Uh, they are complete, as you said. Um, however, I think Pittsburgh is going to finish ahead of the Rangers. L losing Strom, putting Trocek in there for the Rangers. I know they have the best goaltender on the planet uh, there, you know, with the blue shirts. But Pittsburgh, you just have to sort of like what Hextall and Burke are doing, and they're moving some pieces around. And I know they're an older team, but they're one of those clubs, Dennis, that they always find a way to get things done. And I believe in leadership. And in this case, I think the Pittsburgh Penguins will find a way to uh, finish ahead of the Rangers in the Metro. Yeah, well, the Rangers aren't a very deep team, as you mentioned. There was a lot of changes. You know, Cop left, uh, Strom left. Trocek, like I mentioned, he's going to be in, uh, in New York now. So, But, uh, yeah, look, Pittsburgh – is it one last ride for the for the old guys? We'll see, but certainly they'll be a dangerous team. I agree. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, you have a lot of uh, question marks about that team sort of, you know, moving forward and where they go. When you look at last year, though, in that division, it was Carolina finishing up uh, on top. Uh, no, it was not Carolina. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Was it? Yes. Yeah, of course it was. What am I Carolina doing? division, right. Carolina, then the Rangers, then Pittsburgh, then Washington, then the Islanders, the Blue Jackets, the Devils, and the Flyers. I was second-guessing myself there, Dennis. 
Yes, you are, Jay. Let's get out to the Atlantic Division. Everybody knows what happens, uh, happened, I should say, in the Atlantic Division last year. The Florida Panthers put up a 287-point season. Uh, they ran the table <laughs> in the regular season. Toronto somehow, with all their firepower, finished second in the division. Tampa third, Boston fourth. And then uh, after that, you had the Sabres, Red Wings, Senators, and Canadians. There's a lot of intrigue around the Atlantic Division, Dennis not only because of the typical talk around Toronto and, you know, can they get something going in the playoffs? How much longer can the Lightning keep their, uh, basically their dynasty going? Has Florida solved their problems by trading away Jonathan Huberto and picking up Matthew Kachuk? Not that Hubie was the problem, just that uh, Florida clearly didn't get it done when it counted last year. What's up with the Bruins? What's up with the Red Wings? Can the Senators make the jump? And that's a, a pretty big jump, DB, from where they were. Agreed. So a lot of intrigue around the Atlantic Division. How do you think things uh, shape up 82 games from now? Yeah, not not talking about the actual who's going to win the division, but but that sidebar about Ottawa making the playoffs. Like when you watch the when you look at their defense, John, and you look at their depth chart, there's no way not in that division and not in that conference. So I, I look, they'll improve. They'll be a more exciting team. They'll certainly score more goals. But to make the playoffs, I don't think so. I, I believe it or not, John, I like Toronto to win the division. I don't think Tampa cares. I don't think Florida's as good. Um, so I'll pick the Leafs to win. Doesn't mean I'm going to pick them to win the Stanley Cup, but I, I'll pick the uh, Leafs to win the Atlantic. DB, to continue the the first part there that you were honing in on, just think about this. You had four teams last year in this division that finished not all over, not only over 100, over 105 points. The Bruins were 107 points, Seven. Yep. and they were fourth in their division. Wild card, 122, 115, 110, 107 points, and then a massive drop-off from there. After the Bruins with 107 points, in fifth place was Buffalo with 75 points, and then the Senators with 73. So the the point that uh, I'd like to build on there is that for Ottawa to make the jump, they just don't have to be better, Dennis. They have to be a lot better, (laughs) and they have to hope that one of those four teams above them slips a little bit because to go from 73 points to 107 theoretically Come right on, John. Really? that is a massive step forward and you can like the ottawa senators and some of their younger players all day long but at the same time reality has to kick in that's a huge jump dennis yeah it's like 34 points. so not only would they have to improve by like 20 one of those teams would have to like uh, be worse by 14 so yeah i look they'll improve i think they'll be better but th- to pick them especially with you know, even and now Cam Talbot's hurt out of the box. No, sorry. Better team, not a playoff team. It's funny that you mentioned Cal, uh, Cam Talbot because this morning uh, I was thinking, hold on a minute. Who is their goaltender? <laughs> because, you know, it's just they're, they're a roster that it feels like there's a lot of turnover there. I didn't sit down and pencil it out, but it feels like there's yeah. a lot of turnover. Yeah, oh, yeah, there is. And look, they added uh, they added Drew. Debrinket is a great ad. I mean, the. the the, the, the fans should be excited in Ottawa, but only to a certain extent, right? They're not going to be excited about a playoff team. And the other guy, I guess it's Magnus Helberg is there. Oh, Anton Forsberg and Magnus Helberg is how they're going to start net. Now, Forsberg didn't have a bad season for that team, a 282 goals against 917 save percentage. But when you look at the depth on, you know, on defense, you're going to have to ask Jake Sanderson at 20 years old to play top 20 minutes, uh, 20 minutes, top four minutes. I just don't see it happening. But again, an exciting team, more fun to watch from a fan standpoint. But again, I agree. With, and that's the whole thing, John. The climb is huge. You know, the Kings did a what, 27 point? Do you project their prior season? 27 points. And this team isn't nearly as good defensively. So again, exciting times. It might lessen the top of the division, John. I think that's the teams like Buffalo and Ottawa and the Islanders. 
you may not see all those teams gather that many points, uh, but I, I don't see Ottawa. I couldn't agree with you more. I just there's not enough on the back end to think that's a playoff team in that conference. Here's the other thing. You know how much I love to talk about goal differential and just look at this division and then, and then we can yeah. move on from the Atlantic because this is not the Ottawa Senators uh, um, show <laughs> here. But goal differential, okay? You're plus 94, plus 62, plus 54, plus 35. Those are the four teams that all finished with over 100 points. Below that, starting in fifth place, Buffalo, minus 56. Yeah. That is a hell of a goal differential there, Dennis. Uh, I'm sorry, minus 58. <laughs> Uh, then minus 82 for the Red Wings, minus 39 for the Sens, and minus 98 for the Canadians. So of those four teams, the team with the, I, I can't even believe I'm going to say this, the quote-unquote best goal differential best. would be the Senators at minus 39. The reason I bring this up, though, is this. Uh, the Red Wings are a little bit of a sexy pick, too. Obviously, yep. many people are comfortable hitching their wagon to Stevie Y and what he's done, and you're waiting for the Red Wings with their uh, farm system and a lot of their prospects you're waiting for them to turn the corner and, and Dennis they're right there with Ottawa last year Ottawa 73 points the Red Wings with 74 points but that goal differential Dennis you talk about making the yeah. climb Ottawa's minus 39 the Red Wings are like really hold my beer we're minus 82 yeah I, I think the difference there is that look the Edville who so had a nice season in St. Louis but he's not you know same team and isn't playing in front of him and then they add Perron which was kind of a shocker right you think that Perron's a, a blue for life and Andrew Cobb so you look at that lineup it, the top six is really good but I agree with you I think it's goal differential and again I, I know that uh Mo Sider is a monster and he's fantastic and he was great uh but there's just John let me give you their second pair right now Oli Mata and Philip Gronick okay is that a playoff team no well, Olimata played much better in the second half of the year, but uh, I, I don't, certainly don't think that the Red Wings will be able to make that climb, nor do I think the Sens will either. Agreed. Uh, so I have it Toronto, Tampa, Florida. Florida is intriguing to me because I, I do wonder what their reconfigured roster will mean. But uh, at the end of the day, too much firepower on Toronto. They'll put up a bazillion points, and yeah. uh, I think they'll win the Atlantic Division. So again, I have it Toronto, Tampa, Florida. And then they'll lose in the first round. Okay, well, we'll save save that for the fourth period playoff predictions, which uh, I'm sure will be due here any minute. The uh, the Central Division. Now, here is another intriguing division, Dennis. Uh, you have the defending Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche. I, I don't even have to ask you. I'm sure you have them atop the division unless you yeah. want to break some news here. Um, no. I do as well. And then from there, some interesting conversations. Uh, last year, it was the Minnesota Wild who finished second in the division. Uh, they put they they basically uh, had a few points fewer than the Avalanche, who had 119 points. Minnesota had 113. St. Louis finished third at 109. Then you had Dallas uh, barely missing out on hitting the century mark. And then Nashville, Winnipeg, Chicago, and Arizona. Um, let's go in reverse order here first, Dennis. The Coyotes or the Blackhawks or another team, who finishes with the worst record in the NHL this year? Are you making me choose between Arizona and Chicago, John? I, really I am. Well, me I mean, no, I today? gave you a wild card. I gave you, I said, if or another team. <laughs> no, so not you could go another. Montreal if you want. You could go Philadelphia if, you know, you're not afraid of John Tortorella. You can pick whoever you want. Well, uh, I just think um, Arizona, because I think that Chicago will keep Patrick Kane for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I think Arizona is, uh, that's going to be a, a dogfight and not a good dogfight in a good sense. So I'll go with Arizona, John. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to go the opposite, right? I just, I, I I thought about it like you, and I was like, well, there's a little bit more star power on Chicago. They'll probably, mm -hmm. you know, there'll be a little bit more pressure for them to win, bigger market, et cetera. And 
I'm going to go the other direction. I'm going to I'm going to say that Arizona is going to find a way to rally uh, around sort of the, the problems that they're having. They've done it in the past before. Um, I think the, this this new college environment could be sort of fun for them and some of their younger players will really enjoy it. And um, I, I think that Arizona will leapfrog the Blackhawks. I'm going to say that Chicago will continue to melt down. Uh, you're, you're talking about a 10 point roughly difference last year uh, between these two clubs. But I, I think mm-hmm. that Chicago will finish at the bottom of the league. That's the plan, John. So they're, they're, <laughs> that is the that. plan. Sure. They, yes. they want kind have of they dog, decided so their they phrase yet? What what is their what is their tank phrase? Do they have one yet? That's the plan. That's what should be the tank phrase. Oh, that's okay. That's the plan. It's kind of like when the Kings uh, they went with "Do your job." That was probably my yeah. favorite tagline that they have used thus far. I know "We are Kings" is a popular one, um, but and serious hockey was a, was a funny one when the Ducks first came into the league. A little jab yeah. at their friends in Anaheim, who were the the mighty Ducks of Anaheim at the time. Right. So serious hockey was a really good one. But I like "Do your job." That's just a good. It's a it's a good motto in life, Dennis. Just do your job. Yeah, just don't worry about the rest. Do your job. Exactly. You sound like Gabe Velarde. Focus on what you can control, right? Control the controllables. That, that's yes, all you I can like control. Exactly. <laughs> that's it. No reaction to me saying that you sound like Gabe Velarde? You're saving that for the third period? I'm saving it for the regular season. Oh, okay. Uh, By the way, he did lead the team in preseason points last year and this year and was a point Mm -hmm. of game player when sent to the American League last year. So Gabe Velarde has arrived. He's just looking for some playing time, Dennis. But let's finish on the Central Division. Yeah, Uh, We both agree atop the division would be will be uh, most likely the Colorado Avalanche. It would have to be a major news for the abs, the defending Stanley Cup champions to not win this division. Um, Mm -hmm. But. But lurking in the background, Bill Guerin's Minnesota Wild. You also have the Blues, the Stars, the Preds. How do you how do you see this thing shaking out? Well, I, I think losing Fiala is, is going to hurt Minnesota. Here's the team I like. I like Nashville. Really? And they added they added Nita Ryder. They added Brian McDonough. I really if they if they can get some games out of Lincoln and the net because Saros wears down, he can't really play sixty seven games like he did last year. I like to see you know John, they led the the league in fighting majors last year. They have a tough team. I like the the third line is training uh, Colton Sisson and Tanner Janot who had twenty four goals last year. This team looks really good. I, I think they're a more. I think they're a complete team. They've responded to uh, John Hines. I like this team second in the division. I think their top six is good enough. Their defense is better with Ryan McDonough. Um, I really like this team. Interesting, because they are probably the most polarizing team, I would say, in this mm. division. It, it, and, mm. and you and I tend to be on opposite sides of, of where this thing is going to shake out. Um, we, we tend to agree with most of the division winners thus far. Right. I, I don't think that Nashville is as sexy of a pick or is as, as exciting of a team when I look at the other teams in this division, so Nashville's like, yeah, they're a decent club. They're they're always right there. They're in that mm-hmm. middle pack. They're never in the bottom five. Yeah, yeah. But to be able to get around Minnesota, I don't see it. To be able to get around St. Louis, I don't see it. I know you'll laugh at that because uh, it takes a lot for me to praise the Blues. <laughs> um, but, you know, maybe they can get around Dallas in terms of how things finished up last year. But atop sure. the division, I have Colorado, Minnesota, and St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So where do you see the Preds? What, what do you see them doing? When you like them, how, how deep are you going here? You think they're going to finish third? They're going to finish second? second. They're just going to qualify? Second. I think because, again, I don't think Minnesota's good without Fiala. And I think St. Louis has already got injuries. They've lost yeah. Gandela and the, the other kid defenseman. 
I don't recall his name right now. They lost Billy Huso, uh, although Bennington is still there and has won a cup. Uh, and so I, I like Nashville second because I just think they're a, a better defensive team with McDonough. I think they're a better offensive team with Nito Nidorai. He's a tough player. He's going to give them some traction up on, on the top six. Uh, Kiefer Schwartz, the X factor. He's the other guy on the, on the second line. So I like them second in the division. I really do. Uh, I'm that impressed with the, with their lineup. Granted, they played the Sharks twice, which is really an, an indicator. But I think, and then you're right, John. It is a tough division. It wouldn't be a shock to me if the teams that you mentioned were second. But I just like Nashville this year. I think it's going to be a dogfight too, and we'll get to this as we talk about the Pacific here in a minute. I think it's going to be a dogfight in the Western Conference uh, because the Pacific Division is back, Dennis. After yeah. three to five years of you know, really being a down division after a decade of being just a murderer's row as a division, mm -hmm. the Pacific yep. division is back and we can, we can slice this up, uh, you know, starting from the bottom in terms of last year's standings, you have the Seattle Kraken who they should be improved. The Anaheim ducks, they should be improved. The sharks, not so improved the Canucks, the golden Knights, the Kings, the Oilers and the flames. That's from the bottom up last year. You could conceivably see five teams making it into the playoffs out of the Pacific Division. It's not out of the realm of possibility, Dennis. No, it's not. I, I think right now the Sharks, it's going to be a very long season. So good luck to Mike Greer and David Quinn in San Jose because that, that roster, they've got some good players up, you know, two, top two guys on, up front with respect to Meyer, Meyer and Hurdle. And that was great to see Hurdle score in Prague, John. I mean, you think those games don't mean much to these players. It means a lot when a guy who played and grew up in Prague scored a goal. But San Jose, I think bottom, I agree, Anaheim and Seattle should be somewhat better. Remember, the Ducks are only one point behind Seattle, uh, San Jose. They should pass them. The question is how far up is Seattle going to move? I love that what they have in the middle now, you know, with Manny Beniers and Gord and getting Shane Wright at four. So they they can't be much. They, they need to be – I don't know if they be better, John. they got to be more entertaining because we – we had um, John Forson on uh, Power Play. I hosted with uh, uh, Dave McCarthy uh, during the week. And I, I mentioned to John, I said, a lot of nights the most entertaining thing about Seattle was John's call. And he started laughing. And he, he kind of agreed with me. So uh, they had to be a lot better offensively. They have to get better from Grubauer. So, yeah, I agree that Seattle and, and Anaheim will be better. I don't think – I think San Jose is bottom of the division. So uh, we were talking a moment ago about the Coyotes and the Blackhawks uh, taking a run at it. Uh, in, in the draft lottery. Could the Sharks make a run at the Blackhawks or the Coyotes for the worst team in the division? Or, excuse me, in the league? No, I don't think they'll be that bad. I, I think they'll be bad enough to, to be bottom in the division. I don't think they're a 60-point team, but I don't think they're – they're probably like 72 or 70 points. So I think they're probably six to eight points better than those two, two teams, but that's not really that much. That's only three or four wins. Well, they were a 77-point team last year, so if they only have about a five-point drop-off, that's a nice – place to be when you're in transition because then the climb is not as high yeah. so we talked earlier right. about teams that have to get back to the top of the mountain and san jose is probably not going to be a playoff team this year or next year but bottoming out at 72 instead of bottoming bottoming out at 62 there's a big difference there uh let's talk about the top of the division then here dennis i have calgary winning the division and really i have the top three finishing just like last year calgary atop the division Edmonton number two, and I have the Kings finishing third. Do you see things any different uh, in the Pacific Division? Yeah, flip the two Alberta teams. I like Edmonton okay. to win because they're not going to give up goals from center ice with Jack Campbell. Um, so that's going to be an improvement. Uh, Edmonton, Calgary, LA. Uh, that, that's how I go. And But it wouldn't shock me. Look what Calgary did. Like They're a better team, John. I, I think they're a better team for the playoffs. I don't think that like, – if Daryl learned anything – he needs to take his foot off the pedal down the stretch, right? I mean, Dennis, that's Dennis, he, you're telling me that at this point, 
at this point now, after all these years and all these playoff runs and all these teams, you're telling me that now Daryl learned that? Yeah, hopefully. That's I'm going to disagree with extension. you. Okay. Well, I'm going to disagree. Because it's meaningless, John. It was meaningless to win the division. They ran out of gas. And and Mar- and the key is Markstrom. Markstrom gets tired in the playoffs two years in a row. So I like Edmonton, Calgary, and L.A. as the top three. It's just dirty laundry, those division banners hanging at the top of the Saddle Dome or whatever they call that place now. Uh, I think that's a quote from Daryl. Uh, yeah, Dennis, I would even go so far as to say this. I could see any of those three teams winning the division. I don't think L.A., if I was handicapping them, I think that L.A. has the third best chance of winning the division. But if L.A. was to win the division, it wouldn't completely surprise me. It just means that the concerns that we would have about Calgary or Edmonton ended up playing out to be true. But those three teams are not going to be separated, most likely, by very many points, is what I'm trying to get at, Dennis. Yeah, although I think Calgary's better suited for the playoffs. I don't think they're a 111 point team either, John. And if it's more, if the division's better itself, I don't think there's a 12 point gap between the third place team and the first place team. So I agree with you. And I looked at the season predictions a lot around the league a lot. Nobody's given LA any credit. Most are saying they're going to regress. And I'm like going, well, this team was so poor statistically and only a plus three goal differential and 99 points. They're going to be better, right? They're going to be better offensively. And if they are, They should come around, you know, they should still be a 100-point team. I don't see any reason for regression in the predictions that I see some around the league. Well, let's do this, Dennis. The power play is certainly going to be better. We'll need to book Jim Hiller on as a guest here. Uh, But on the other side of the break, let's get into it with the general manager of the Los Angeles Kings. Coming up here after the break, we'll talk with Rob Blake about this season and looking forward with the LA Kings. Your savage heart has stolen my name in a wilderness love. You're so hard to tame in the tides of this world. You're a victim of fate. Give me mercy. Welcome back, second period, and with the 2022-2023 NHL season upon us, it's time once again to check in with Kings GM Rob Blake. Blakey, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Well, look, we're doing fine. We have a long list of questions to ask you, as always. Uh, Talk about this roster, talk about what's ahead, talk about the season that's upon us. But first, we need to get to something here. Uh, I reported in January that you had a contract extension in place. And then uh, Mark Yannetti, I reported that he had a contract extension in place probably what feels like six months ago. As we sit here on the brink of the season, nothing has been officially announced. So can you just please set the record straight here? Are the contract extensions in place for both of you guys? Yeah, they were like officially announced like three different times. Uh, <laughs> were they? I, I missed those PR emails. I didn't see them. No. Yeah, no, they were. Yeah, that was all taken care of uh, in January. Nothing was finalized till after the season. Um, you know, we had the discussions and uh, talk, talked about that, but nothing was really finalized. I, you know, at the end of the day, we never really put anything officially out there, but uh, both both were uh, in, in place right at the end of the season. 
Okay, good. So I'm going to I'm going to uh, amend the articles that were on Mayor's Manor with a little asterisk. It says, uh, you know, confirmed by Rob Blake uh, heading into the 2022-23 season. So thank you for for confirming those reports. Hey, look, in all seriousness, uh, the season is upon us. And I wanted to start with preseason because I remember a few years ago, not to bring up bad things, but um, I remember you saying you just didn't like what you saw out of the team in preseason. And so I'm yeah. wondering, what do you watch for in preseason? When you were sitting there over the last couple of weeks, what are you looking yeah. at? Well, uh, for, you know, probably, I, I think this year more so just progression of, uh, of a few of the younger players. Um, you know, I, I think when you look at this camp, we, we basically had, you know, 12 forwards pretty well set. You're, you're looking at carrying 14 forwards, and there was really only a few guys that were actually going for those spots completely. And uh, so, so we wanted to see progression of some of the younger players that, that got ice time last year. But then also the fit, uh, you know, bringing in a Fiala and, and uh, trying to fit in a couple of the guys that, that had – long-term injuries last year back into the lineup at the right time. Rob, time flies when you're having fun. You've been in the job five and a half years. Uh, So how has your job changed since day one to today? Uh, Well, I I think in the format. So, you know, when you, when you first took over, when I first took over and and we're trying to get things established, we we were holding on for, for a year. We understood the, kind of the progress to happen a little quicker maybe than we wanted to. But then you go through a phase where, where you want to acquire talent. So you're out and, and whether it's college free agents, it's draft picks, you're, you're doing all that. Then you're getting it in place. The, 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 the talent's there. It gets a year or two. And now you can kind of shape the team the way you hope it will look going forward. And, and I think last year, taking some of those steps to get to that, uh, past the stage of just acquiring talent, but actually putting it into the lineup and, and starting to put, you know, the, the right players in the right spot uh, to see, to see an outcome. And so I think that's the stage we're at, you know, you, you, you add a few pieces a year ago in free agency, you add one, another one this year. Um, and then the progress of some of your younger players and, and, and the lineup starts to take the shape that you, you hope it will be. So Rob, just building on that a little bit, the plan is starting to come together. The plan was starting to come together last year. And then this year over the weekend, you get to make that phone call. You get to contact the Barry Colts, let them know that you're going to keep Brant Clark up. You get to tell the kid that he's made the NHL opening night roster. Just how exciting is it uh, to to do that for a young player? Remembering back, I'm sure to maybe uh, that conversation that you had with, with coaches and management way back in the day, but also just tell us a little bit about Brent Clark and what you liked about him, what you saw from him and, and why he's on this opening night roster and he's going to get a sniff here. Yeah, no. And, and, and Brent had a real good, a real strong camp. Uh, You know, unfortunately last year, having been diagnosed with mono right before training camp, we, we really didn't get to see him. Then we brought him out after Barry Colts uh, were eliminated last year, or, you know, down the stretch in the playoffs. But he had a knee injury that required surgery that kept him out. So, so the coaching staff and, and every we never really had uh, a, a, a you know hands-on view of him by any means. So, uh, lots of expectations when he came into camp, and uh, and he's lived up to it. He's fit. He's fit in. Um, you know, I think one of the the big things going forward was how you know. The, the way he plays, uh, very creative, very deceptive, and uh, 
but but we wanted to make sure he was going to compete hard enough. Was he going to be coachable? Was he going to listen? You know, to to what uh, Trent Yanni, Todd McClellan were preaching. Would he buy into the system and everything? And that's been you know way above I think any expectations any of us had on him. So you know he uh, he's earned his chance. Uh, you know it's it's still a situation that's going to evolve here, and we're going to we have to make sure when he's in the lineup that he's getting the reasonable amount of minutes to to keep developing. And uh, I think if you look. A lot of it uh, will probably rely on Trent Yanni and, and uh, just his previous experiences with Young D and the other organizations he's been in and uh, and how he's been able to take them and get the minutes. He talks about it all the time. He says, I, you know, listen, he's, he's as good as uh, some of the players in the NHL at making plays. He's deceptive. He can, he can show that he can be there. We just got to make sure we're continually getting the minutes that's going to help him develop. So, uh, you know, it's an ongoing situation. The first step, uh, he got through rookie camp, he got through main camp, and, uh, and, and you know, he's going to get his reps here uh, during the regular season now. What's going to be the approach? I know, you know, plans go out the window. Mike Tyson, the famous quote, right? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. But yeah. rough, rough ballpark plan. Would it be to sort of get him nine games in the first, you know, 10 or 11? Or would it be like, hey, play a game, sit out a game, you know, sit out two games? What, what would kind of be the plan for, for his playing time? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if we have anything like you know concrete right now. Um, you know what? There, there, there's a couple things that go on. We we have to get you know obviously Sean Walker and Sean Dursey up to speed with their injuries. They they've all they've each had a, a few preseason games. Dursey too, and I think Walker had three. Um, but but those injuries were uh, you know long term, especially on Walker's situation. So he's going to have to get his reps and everything in there. So um, you know getting. Brant into the lineup will be the first step, managing his minutes, and then, um, you know, seeing how the games go and, and, and the pace of the, the regular season. Because there is a big difference between just training camp, uh, preseason games, and regular season. So uh, we'll have to monitor. I don't think we have a plan just set in place. We're, we're fortunate, like I said, with, uh, with Trent Yanni, but also with Jim Hiller. He went through this on the island with uh, a young defenseman in Noah Dobson. Uh, I think it was his 19 year old year. Uh, in the NHL and and just how they used them early on and, until he got into the lineup. So so we're going to have to use some of those experiences. Rob, I want to go back to what John asked you about preseason. And in preseason, Gabe Velarde was your leading goal scorer. Um, to me, he appears to be a different player this coming into the season. What is your perspective on what Gabe gave you in the preseason and what do you expect this season from him? Yeah. Yeah, no, he had a he had a terrific preseason. I think he felt real comfortable in, in in the role he was given. He got a little different look on the power play in the net front, and uh, uh, it, it kind of plays to to I think his uh, his skill set. Uh, you know, he's got real good hands. He's got good hockey sense and and, and vision and finding plays, and he protects the puck well. So once we get in the zone, get on the power play, I think he adds to that. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, I think he uh, he he exceeded what guys wanted him to do. He went out and he played determined, but I saw him stick up for teammates. I saw him play hard in, in, in training camp and, and then added the offense into that. So, uh, you know, no, their their coaches are excited about the opportunity Gabe will get. And he's going to start opening night on the top line. Is that correct? <laughs> uh, yeah. Which, which top line? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Rob. That's Good. the right answer. Uh, which yeah. top line? Um, 
Look, uh, the power play, right? It's the elephant in the room coming out of last season, and it's scary to think about how much better this team would have been with the better power play. And from what I understand, Todd McClellan took the lead on recruiting and, and finding out who his new assistant would be, ultimately bringing in Jim Hiller. But you can say that it was Todd's process, but at the end of the day, you're still the GM and you have to sign off on it. So can, what, what can you share with us about any conversations that you had with Jim Hiller and sort of uh, aligning your thoughts about the power play or even about the coaching staff and the approach that the LA Kings want to take moving forward? Yeah, and I think that, you know, that started right at the end of the season with the just with the opening in the American League and and having the conversation with Todd uh, regarding Marco Sturm and and what his process. Mark Marco wants to be a head coach eventually in the NHL, but he really hadn't had head coaching experience. And I and I think you have to you have to be able to have that and and, and be the, the the person in control so that uh, you, you understand how to handle everything. So that that process started right. There. Uh, you know, the opportunity for Marco to to start with Ontario as a head coach and uh, kind of expand his coaching career. Now that opens up a spot up here. And, uh, you know, Todd, I, I kind of left a lot of that through the summer up to Todd. He, he has good connections through his coaching uh, uh, friends and, and the coaching community into what he, he needed out of an assistant coach. And uh, he wanted somebody with experience. Um, you know, obviously running the power play, running the offense, or helping him with the offense because he's got Yon, uh, Trent Yanni on the back end. But he did want experience. He wanted someone to come in because he knew where the team was headed, where, you know, take the step to get in the playoffs. Now you expect to be in that position. And he wanted to make sure he had uh, an experienced voice to help him. And, uh, you know, through his connections, I said, like I said, with, with Jim Hiller, it seemed to fit that, that role pretty good for us. There's a lot of good coming out of last season, Rob. Kempe getting 35 goals, Deneau coming and doing the job, extending Edmonton to seven games. But one of the best, I think the best story is Trevor Moore emerging um, as a top six player for you last season, but he's unrestricted to the end of the season. Will you try to sign him before the season's over? Uh, I, I think so. We, we've had preliminary talks with his camp. I think he, you know, both our mindsets are to get him up running full speed again with this line with Deneau and Arvidsson. They seem to really have a, a connection last year produced uh, from pretty much about the halfway point on uh, in the season. And we'll continue. He'll be every opportunity to continue to grow his game. He's a, he's a very big part, um, you know, with, with, uh, with just his role on that line, his role in the penalty kill, but, but his overall presence with our players uh, throughout yeah. the summer in, in, in the gym and different things, he's a uh, he's a big part of uh, of our team going forward. Rob, last year around this time, the player we asked you about was number twenty three, Dustin Brown. Uh, a lot of questions about what his future was going to look like, and obviously, it, it, it played out the way Dustin wanted with the retirement at the end of the year. Jonathan Quick has gone on record already during training camp and said that he plans on playing beyond yeah. this season. So, what yeah. where do you what do you do with that comment at this particular point? Well, no, it's exactly what you want to hear. <laughs> you know, I think uh, John settled into a, uh, you know, his his form again last season. I, I thought when we really relied on a goaltender, when we needed someone to win some games down the stretch for us and in the playoffs, he, he, he was that uh, that person again, that goaltender again that he, he's very capable of over the career. So, you know, what, kind of the situation with, with John, and it's no different than with Dustin Brown. You, you meet with him during the summer. You get the expectations that he, he, he wants to continue. He put the work in this summer. There's, he doesn't see an end to 
to where he is. He wants to keep going. That's great. So we'll, we'll talk again around Christmas. We'll talk again at the deadline, and then we'll talk again in the summer. And and that's kind of how it is, I think, when you get to that age. As long as the communication's there, both sides are willing to look at different options. But uh, I know internally he has that drive. We're going to rely on him heavily again. Um, you know, our goaltender situation is very similar to last year. We've got two of them that they, they've got to compete there to to help get this team and keep going forward. I know that some fans, when they hear that commentary right there, one of the things they're going to pick up on is the trade deadline. So the yep. likelihood of you moving, regardless of how the season plays out, if the Kings are at the top of the division or fighting for a playoff spot, it just seems inconceivable that you would trade Jonathan yeah. Quick at the trade deadline. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think he's such a big part of our team. If we're, if we're battling to, for the playoff spots at the trade deadline, he's probably one of the reasons we're there. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and more of it's just communication between the players. They listen, there's going to be outside noise. We understand that. We hear it. And, um, you know, people want to say different things than that. But as long as you have the communication with the player and we have the the, the agenda in place that we want to accomplish, uh, you know, he, he, he wants to lead this team to the playoffs again, and that's what we expect from him. Rob, his partner in that, Cal, uh, he was an afterthought down the stretch, didn't play in the playoffs. His preseason numbers were not good. So, so how concerning is his play given the financial commitment you've made to him for the next three seasons? Yeah, no, we're going to need more out of him. I didn't think his, his preseason was at the level um, that we wanted at, and I'm pretty sure it's not for him either. Uh, you know, like I, like I said, I think our goaltenders are they, they, they're in a situation where they're going to battle each other uh, internally for, for starts and that. But what that's going to do is help our team uh, at the end of the day. So, yeah, we, we need – Strong goaltending, um, you know, whether it's a five on five penalty kill, whatever type of situation, uh, we're going to rely on them. But they, but they're going to battle that spot uh, between the two of them. Uh, how much pressure is on Quentin Byfield, Rob? You you have Andre still, you know, playing well. Yeah. Phil came in, did great. So there's there's not that pressure he might have on another team where he needs to deliver as a top six. But clearly last year, five goals, five assists in 40 games, that's that's not good enough for a second overall pick. So so where does Q stand? He's, he's been ill. He's missed out a little bit of training camp. What are your expectations? What does he need to do for you this season? Well, I think he's solidify that line for us. You know, I, I think he's going to get the opportunity right off the start here with, with probably Ayafalo on his wing. So it gives him a veteran presence that can settle things down during a game. And, you know, whether it's Velarde, Kaliev, Grunstrom, uh, uh, whoever's in the mix on the other side, uh, they do have the ability to score and make plays. So I think it, it gives us a pretty solid uh, foundation for a line there. Uh, the thing with Quentin, I mean, it, I don't think people understand how much uh, that injury last year take, takes away from you. He came into camp ready to go, uh, you know, suffers a, a broken ankle that, uh, was longer than your typical four-week broken ankle. There was a lot more involved in it. So by the time he gets back, he's playing catch-up the rest of the year at 19 or 18 years old when you, when you're trying to make the NHL. So I think that had a big part on it. Um, unfortunately, we had the same situation again coming into camp this year. He's off to a good start. He comes a rookie camp. He comes into main camp. And then he gets sick and misses, the, you know, whatever, eight days in there that throw him off a little bit. We were fortunate to get him that last preseason game. They, they look good together. Um, so so the expectations is, is to get in and, and, and get in that lineup every day and help us. Uh, you know, whether it's goals, points, I don't think we're putting a lot of emphasis on that just yet. 
Um, we we want to see him up and playing, but I think he gives us the dynamic within that lineup that helps us. Rob, just to circle back to the Jim Hiller thing, when when Todd first surfaced the name Jim Hiller, did you sort of go, Jim Hiller? That's the guy you played with 30 years ago. I'm, I'm sure back then you weren't thinking power play specialist when you were thinking about uh, Jim Hiller in his days in, as a member of the LA Kings. Yeah, that short time. No, that's right. No, we do laugh about that when he uh, played here in the early 90s and that. But, yeah, no, I, I think if you looked at Jim's track record from uh, – you know, you know, Toronto to the New York Islanders, and then and then on, and, and the basis that he had to work. Uh, you know, he he's kind of fit that role all along, so it wasn't surprising that Todd pushed the same head. Uh, just knowing the situation when he when when there was an opportunity to talk to the Islanders about him. So, um, but yeah, well, yeah, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't have thought that probably when I played with him that that would have been our our, our powerful. <laughs> Rob, big picture question, and you can certainly give us a cliche if you like, but um, 32 teams want to win the Cup coming into the season, right? Yeah. But, but, but that aside, what does success look like to you this season? Well, it's just keep moving forward. Like, we, we, we don't want to take a step back. And, listen, there's going to be situations where it's not going to be smooth going forward, but I think everything in the last few years have taken steps to, to fill out the roster and, and – and, and then you get another year of experience with some of your younger players and they start to fit prominent roles within the lineup. Then you add you add a, an element in the summer that uh, we, we didn't have a lot of in the natural offense of Kevin Fiala. So you're, you look forward to um, always taking that step forward. For us, That that's the, the whole process. Okay, let's get the lineup. Let's get these young guys uh, another year of experience. Start putting them in the lineup in the right spots and uh, and, and then you start to identify different types of holes or needs, and, and now you have the ability to fill those with some of the assets you've acquired, but there's also less and less of those needs and the holes in the lineup. Take us through the summer and the the Sean Dursey and Mikey Anderson deals. And in Mikey, at the end of the day, he ends up betting on himself, uh, as he said, and he takes the one-year deal, which is really similar to his qualifying offer for the most part. Dursey goes with a two-year deal. Like, what took so long on these deals? Because you didn't have a lot of money. It was pretty obvious how much money you had, and you, you guys just had to chop it up. What took so long, and, and what do you look at those two deals moving forward? Mikey's going to get paid at some point. Yeah, no, he, and he should. <laughs> no, and... <laughs> Uh, and a lot of his is based off of minutes and quality of play. You know, that, that, that is now, now a lot of these things, you know, the timing of these contracts, uh, you know, it, it, a lot is based on the CBA and the, uh, the ability the players have and, and the teams have. So uh, both these guys are restricted free agents without salary arms. So there's, there's really, there's nothing you're preparing in the summer for that, that have a different outcome in the contract. It's a matter of getting the, you know, whatever deals you have in place in free agency, uh, getting your unrestricted free agent signed or acquiring free agents. Then you take a look at your cap situation. This is what I have left. And now, now the offers go back. Some of them can range anywhere from, you know, one to one to four or five year deals. And then you, you know, you kind of go back and forth with, with the agency or the player's agent. You narrow down the type of term they want. And now it, now it becomes, okay, these players had really their options were their qualifying offers at the end of the day. That, that that's the base minimum. That's how you start your negotiations. Now, whether you want you know three, four, five year terms, you look at the comps that fit into those groups, and and then you kind of decide. But I think the timing of those ones, there was really nothing 
that proceeded that they had to get done early. You, you wait till the end. You wait to see, you know, in our situation, the amount of, of cap space um, after signing a couple free agents and making some deals, your cap space kind of uh, gets narrowed down and you have to fit them in. And then the players have the options to do you want a shorter term? Do you want something that gives you a couple of years of security? And both these guys are coming at different situations in their career. So, um, you know, the negotiations with both were very, very good. There was no hesitation on any side. I think we understood that we were going to get them signed and it was a matter of how, how we're going to fit them in and, and exactly what type of term and deal they were looking for. So, Rob, we certainly appreciate your time. Thank you so much for uh, answering all of our questions. Kings fans are going to riot if we don't at least sneak this one final question in, and that is left-handed D. Uh, yeah. Two years ago, there was a lot of talk that this was a need for the team. You didn't swing a deal to acquire one via free agency or a trade, and now you have this glut of defensemen, and you have guys like Sean Walker playing over on the left side. Todd even told me a couple days ago that Clark could play over on the left side. So, um, is left-handed D still something that you need to target at this point, or is it kind of further down the road because you have too many pieces right now? Well, it, it, yeah, perfect world. You like three lefties and three righties. Um, we're, we're not going to be in that situation there. We're going to have righties playing on the offside. Uh, you know, Sean Walker's done it in the past. Like you said, uh, we experiment a little bit with Brant Clark during the year, just, just so that we knew if, if Clark was going to remain on our roster and we've got to find important minutes, important roles, he might have to play the left side. Uh, you, you saw Sean Dursey the last game play on the left side and he seemed to fit in there pretty well. So, um, you know, our, our belief is that the best players will end up playing uh, a little different look than most teams, just with the amount of right-handed D we have. Uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of that was forced on us last year with the injuries, injuries to uh, obviously Walker for the majority of the season, the whole season, uh, drew at times during last season and Matt Roy allowed, you know, Jersey to get his foot in the door in the NHL and make a real good presence and allowed Jordan Spence to get games. So yeah, we, we know our situation is, is heavily favored on the right side, but we have no issues putting a, uh, putting a few of these guys on the left to, to see how they do. Fantastic appearance, Blakey. We'll give you an A-plus for this one. Check your schedule, though. We'd like to get you back on probably like the second week of December. So see if you can squeeze us in right oh, before sure. Christmas, okay? Okay. <laughs> you guys would do it right before trade deadline. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to get you a couple of weeks before the trade deadline. That way that we weren't bothering you. You wanted the scoops before the deadline. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, yes. Yes. <laughs> we always want the scoops, Rob. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Blakey. Uh, have a good one, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. There you go. Rob Blake, general manager of the Los Angeles Kings. We'll be back after the break and talk all about the LA Kings, and uh, who knows? Dennis might make a few predictions on what this team's going to do. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Welcome back, third period. DB, let's jump right into it, and I'm going to ask you one of my favorite questions following an interview, which was, or which is, I should say, uh, what was your favorite answer, or what sticks with you out of that conversation there with GM Rob Blake? Uh, Rob's loosening up a little bit, I think, over yeah. five and a half years. I think he's a, he, he's getting the joke a little bit more. 
with respect to, uh, I think, Kings of the Podcast. I think the the uncertainty or his inability not to tell us what the plan is with uh, with Brent Clark. There's a plan, John. Come on. <laughs> yes. what, 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 if there's one thing Rob Blake has, it's a plan. So uh, yeah, I'm not. I, I, I guess we we don't have clearance to get the plan yet, but there has to be a plan uh, for Brent Clark. So uh, I'll, I'll sniff around a little bit more uh, around our various sources and see what we can come up with with the plan. I I don't see him nine straight games. I just I don't think that mm-hmm. that would be the plan. Again, I'm just Agreed. speculating here. I haven't haven't sniffed around on this one, but it, with their abundance of players, it right, doesn't exactly. seem like that would be the plan. But some sort of a platoon situation, which I think he sort of alluded to there. You look at guys like Dursey coming back from injury, Sean Walker coming back from yeah. injury. I don't think those players are going to go nine straight games in the lineup either. So that's the platoon situation, I think, in the most likely scenario to get Brant Clark some games. But as I said, DB, plans go out the window because if you play mm-hmm. Brant Clark in three games and hypothetically, let's say he has five points in three games, it pretty quickly coaches move away from the platoon and they start <laughs> right. to find a way to get him in the lineup. Yeah, but your point about Dursey and Walker needing time because of injury, yeah, I think that's that's the key there. And it just there's too many defensive. It's not a situation. It's the opposite of last year, John, when they didn't have enough. And now they got too many. And that's a that's a better position to be in, obviously. Well, things change around the National Hockey League, Dennis, and they change very quickly. Um, I want to go around the LA Kings lineup and just uh, get some thoughts and opinions we can share, we can pontificate. Uh, Let's work from the bottom up. So typically the way the lineups are posted, we'll start in goal. Uh, Jonathan Quick, Cal Peterson. Well, I would say that uh, 32 is going to be the starting goaltender for game one. I think we can all agree on that. Um, I'm going to hold my comments on Cal Peterson. I'm going to allow you the uh, the floor first here, Dennis. What do you think what's going on in goal between 32 and 40? And how do you see things playing out over the next 82 regular season games? Well, right now in the moment, if I was the coach, I'd be playing uh, quick 60 games and Cal probably 22. Cal, I, I don't know what's happened with Cal. His confidence isn't there. And I know it's preseason and, you want to tread lightly with respect to performance in the preseason. He, he does not look like the confident goalie that he was two seasons ago. I don't know what happened down the stretch last year. It's continued here in the in the in the uh, in the right in the in the preseason. Um, I'm concerned about that performance because they are going to need him. Because I'm being facetious when I say 60 and 22, but because uh, I don't think John can carry, carry that weight. But it, it's. It should be close to 40-40, and right now I, I, you're running a risk playing the guy the way he's playing right now. But, again, things reset to zero starting tomorrow night, so uh, you hope for a better from Cal Peterson. But, yeah, there's got to be a concern internally about his play so far. So let's just uh, – before I give you my thoughts, on a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned are you with Cal Peterson right now? Eight. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to go a little bit lower. Um, six mm-hmm. seems too low. It sounds like I'm brushing it under the rug. So I'm going to say seven uh, for some of the reasons that you mentioned above. Cal Peterson is a much better goaltender than he showed last year for the most part last year. Um, And I say for the most part last year because there were stretches. Now, maybe they weren't long enough, but there were stretches of games where he was pretty good. Uh, But for the most part, what people remember are the stretches of games where he wasn't very good. But my point is Cal Peterson is a much better goaltender than what showed up last year. Uh, That's partly what earned him the the contract uh, extension that he signed with the LA Kings. And, and by the way, guys, uh, Rob Blake was talking about comps there during the second period. Go look at the comps for goaltenders with the number of games played and the experience that uh, Cal Peterson has. His contract fits right in from a comp perspective. So he was not uh, overpaid uh, from that standpoint in terms of age and NHL games played. So I, I have it probably at a seven, but I do say this. Mm-hmm. 
I know that McClellan, I shouldn't say no. Let me rephrase that. I believe that McClellan was doing a little bit of coach speak when we asked about Cal a couple games ago and he was saying, look, it's preseason. Remember, Cal hasn't played a lot of hockey. We didn't use him much in the in the end of the season in the playoffs. And then, you know, he only played uh, a brief number of minutes in the first preseason game. So, you know, don't overanalyze the game against uh, Anaheim. Uh, where he gave up a bunch of goals. So I, I get it. Like, it's preseason. Um, but there still is some concern because, Dennis, over the summer, I said Cal was the X factor in all of this. I don't think the Kings can rely on Jonathan Quick or want to rely on Jonathan Quick to play 60 games. Cal Peterson's going to have to step up at some point. And here's the real problem, Dennis. Yeah, They don't have a lot of depth nope. uh, from a high-end prospect level in the farm system. So if something was to go wrong and you had to call up a Matt Valalta uh, or a Jacob Ingham, you know, I'm not sure that either of those two and Ingham's out with the, with the back injury. So that's not even really an option. And David Rennick is a first year pro uh, and he's going to need to get his, you know, his game going. You're really looking at Matt Valalta and I'm not sure that's the answer that you want to go with. So they need, they need Cal to figure it out. Um, the good news is Bill Ranford's still in LA and he's pretty good with goalies, DV. Here's the other concern, John. Remember, I, I think both goalies, this is not just Cal, they were shielded a bit by, by the style of play. Because remember, they were second in shots against. So they had great shot suppression this uh, last season. They're going to be a better offensive team. I, I, I think they're going to be more aggressive. And I think that the shots on goal are going to go up. So you really need both guys to be on their game from game one because I think this is going to be a more up-tempo team. They may surrender more chances. And you absolutely need both goaltenders. So, yeah, so that's why I think it's an eight because from the start, I, I think there's going to be – it's going to be a more exciting game. Um, they need to score more because you're not going to get in the playoffs again with a plus-three goal differential. You're not going to do that trick again. So, yeah, I think there's legitimate concern. And granted, the team playing in front of Cal wasn't great either. Um, so they need to maybe clean up a little bit of stuff there. Maybe that helps Cal a little bit. But again, the guy needs to be focused and get back on track because they. You're right. They can't make the playoffs with that with you know, John Quick playing three quarters of the games. Yeah. All right. Let's move to the defensive side of things. And um, there obviously are some players that are not part of this starting group of seven uh, to to kick the season off. So Toby Bjornfoot will be in the American League with the Ontario Reign. Jordan Spence will be with the Ontario Reign as well. That's a pretty formidable uh, uh, top pairing there for the Ontario Reign. Bjornfoot on the left side, Spence on the right side. That's a lot to look forward to and a good depth problem uh, to have because either of those two players could be recalled as needed um, during the regular season. But let's look at the seven guys that will start the season in L.A. And uh, I guess we have to start with Brant Clark. He's he's technically the seventh defenseman, although he's going to get some playing time. So any any opening thoughts here on Brant Clark before the real season begins? I'm so happy for Brant Clark. Like That kid is just personality. He's an exciting player. Uh, he, he's he's earned it. And and it goes back to the development, John. Like if he, if he goes back to the O, He's going to dominate. It's not really going to do any good. So, like, I like to see him here all season from a, I think, from a greed standpoint because he is he injects personality into the room and excitement. Uh, I'm happy for him because, John, I know everybody badly wants to play in the NHL, but this player really wants badly to be on this team. So I'm glad that he earned it. And, John, it wasn't given to him. I think, to me, that's the biggest takeaway. He sees the opportunity over, again, over guys like Bionfoot, who played 70 games in the league last year. He sees this opportunity. So really happy for him. And, and hopefully he sticks, but if he doesn't, I understand why. Here's the thing to remember also, DB. This is a special player, and I don't just use that term lightly. This is a different 
player. This isn't just a top prospect. There's something yeah. unique about his skill set, about his gifts. And when you talk to scouts of other teams as well, and even internally, when you talk to different people in Kings management, they'll tell you there's just something different about this kid. He's not, again, just a top prospect. He's not just a first round pick. He has something special. Uh, and it does remind you in many ways of Drew Doughty when he came in. Doughty, and they're not the same player. They don't play the same style. No, they're not the nope. same player. There are some similarities in that Doughty came in as more of an offensive player and he had to learn to play defense. And now he enjoys playing defense more. And, and Clark will get there as well, I'm sure. Um, but they're not the same player. But there is that no. it factor. And sometimes when you're around a player, you just feel it. You just sense it. You just know it. And scouts see it. You're just sitting in the stands. They don't even have to be in the room or talking to the player. There's just an it factor. He makes things happen. And for me, it's the vision. Uh, I tweeted this out earlier in the preseason. I think it was in San Jose during the rookie camp, uh, rookie tournament, excuse me. He just sees things that other players don't see. And that's what makes great players a step above an average NHL player. And by the way, an average NHL player is still pretty good, Dennis. You're one of the, you're one of the 700 best players in the world. So no right. disrespect to the quote unquote average player, but his vision and what he sees, it, it's, it's a very, uh, it's on a different level, Dennis. And I think that's the comparable with Drew. I don't ever think that Brand will be the same defensive defenseman that Drew will be. He, he won't be that all-around player. But I, I think, and I asked Drew about that. He he does see certain part, aspects of his game uh, that compare to to Drew. It, it just I think more on the offensive side than on the defensive side. He's going to take his blows. Some nights it's not going to be good for him in this first season. But I, I agree with you. I think the vision there, and, and that's a gift, John. Right? You can't you can't develop vision. Right? You can't. Like that's not something that that the def that the development team can do. That you have to ha that has to be innate. So yeah, I'm excited about the prospects of seeing uh, Brandt. Don't want to put too much pressure on the kid, but he certainly I agree he has the opportunity to be special here in Los Angeles. I'm gonna go ahead and call my shot right now, Dennis. I think Clark sticks around past nine games. Haven't had that confirmed by anybody, mm -hmm. but I was right. talking earlier in the year at, when we did the podcast, probably back in January, February, saying. Man, pencil in Brent Clark. He's going to be on this LA Kings roster come opening night. And a lot of people disagreed because they look at the depth chart. They're like, how? How is yeah. it going to happen? How it's going to happen is exactly how it just happened. The kid made something happen. He sees the yeah. opportunity, to borrow your words or phrase. And uh, yeah, he, they're going to have to figure it out. What do they do with Sean Walker? I don't know. How did they get Jordan Spence back up? I don't know. How did they get Toby right. Bjornfoot back up? And oh, by the way, Blake still said that ideally you want to get you know, more yeah, balance really in there. Like, so maybe right. there is a left-handed D coming at the trade deadline or next summer. I don't know how you figure it all out, but there, here's what I know. The LA Kings are going to be a better club. They're going to score more goals. They're going to have more offense when you have a special player like Brant Clark in the lineup. And if you want to be better in April, you need to start. This is kind of like training right. camp for the playoffs, DB. That's what 82 right. games are. So play him and let him work through those warts. And by game 40, he's going to be a much much improved player over where he is right now because when you're that young you improve at a very quick rate dennis yeah if you if he gets to 40 games he's not going to be a rookie anymore john i i agree with you absolutely on that point at that at some point and it's usually around 40 it turns and you're no longer a kid trying to find your way well for mikey anderson it was game three by by game three he was <laughs> no longer a rookie <laughs> so you know uh talked to todd after like eight games uh, and he was like oh, i can't believe this kid's only been in the league for eight games he's like an old man already uh let's let's continue with the defense any thoughts at all uh you have Dursey and walker i'll pair them together they're two different players but they're both coming off injury any concerns any thoughts uh, about walker and Dursey heading into the season no just they need to get up to speed with respect to game time 
game uh-huh. on, playing on the ice. But no, I don't have any good. I think Sean will all build off of what he had. I think he's probably a third pair defenseman on his team. But uh, no, no concerns about him. I, and I think Sean's really motivated to show people that he's fully healthy uh, from that major knee surgery last season. Yeah, I think Jersey is a third pair defenseman only because they don't have a shutdown guy to play with him. I think that if you had right. a shutdown guy on the second pairing on the left side, right. you could play yeah. a Jersey or a Clark uh, as a second pair right side guy. But instead, you have to have Roy up there as your shutdown guy on the second line. So maybe when Jersey gets going, you can slide him into the left spot, which is over where Walker is to get him a little bit more playing time and to get some more offensive looks. Jersey uh, coming off of shoulder surgery. Um, you have to wonder because offense is his game, much like Brant Clark that we were talking about earlier. Jersey's going to need to shoot that puck. He's going to need to make things happen. And so you hope that the shoulder is okay and that he can get what he needs to. For Walker, you know, it's not exactly the same injury, but I do think about Michael Hanzus and I think about something Lombardi said way back when, which is like, throw that first season out when a player comes back mm-hmm. off of uh, knee surgery. So I'm almost looking at Sean Walker the same way and saying like, yeah, everybody's very curious about these first 20 games, but Sean Walker is not going to be Sean Walker after 20 games. He's going to need more time, most likely, with that uh, recovering from that knee injury. So I just I'm curious to see how often Walker is playing and where he's playing in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's going to be rust, but it's going to be more game rust than anything. It's going to be situational rush where he hasn't played it like this. He hasn't played in over a year, John. So I think it's not about his conditioning or his ability to play 20 minutes. It's in in that role. Is he going to be able to be effective? We should have asked Blakey more about it because I believe that he had the same surgery or a similar surgery uh, to Sean Walker earlier in his career. So we could have asked about that timeline there. Um, Edler, is there anything to say? He's just uh, he's like he's like the older version of Matt Roy. He's just steady Eddie. He does his job. And um, I don't think there's much to say about Edler. He'll probably get his 60 games or less. You're not looking to play him 82 games, uh, but he's he's very serviceable and he's he's available. Yeah. Old man river. He keeps rolling along. That's, there that's, you go. That's, so hopefully, and hopefully he's fully, you know, coming back after the injury. Uh, he wasn't the same player. His, before that injury, he was stellar. And even his numbers over the entire 40 games he played was what? 3, 16, 19, and a plus 18. Uh, he's a guy you can rely on. He's dependable. You can rely on. He's not going to be spectacular. But a, a facet this defense needs for sure. Yeah, and every once in a while, you can move him up and let him play second pair. He doesn't have to be a third-pair defenseman. Um, Any commentary around the top pair, Mikey Anderson and Drew Doughty? I think uh, if Mikey Anderson ever had a coming-out party, it was last year in the playoffs against Edmonton. It was playoff Mikey time, and uh, playoff Mikey is pretty exciting, Dennis. Yeah, he body-slammed Leon, (laughs) so there you go, so... Was uh, was pretty good. So, but yeah, look, he, he grew he grew up big time. And you mentioned Todd said after eight games, but that was going through that seven game series against Edmonton, having to play Connor and Leon seven straight games. That, that was certainly an education for Mikey. And you just hope that Drew can play eighty two games. Yeah, uh, moving up to forward, Jared Anderson Dolan, Gabe Velarde earning spots as the thirteenth and fourteenth forward. Again, it does not mean that they will be uh, healthy scratched every night. You figure that Jod will get into the lineup or Jad, as some people want it pronounced. Uh, it's so funny. Uh, people get so bent. Uh, but so Anderson get, Dolan, crazy. <laughs> they, they really do. They uh, Anderson Dolan will make his way into the lineup, most likely on the fourth line. Some nights, um, perhaps spelling uh, Blake Lazat. Other nights, filling in for Brendan Lemieux. Other nights, filling in for perhaps Carl Grundstrom. So he'll, he'll be a platoon player on the fourth line. Gabe Velarde. You have to wonder what's going to happen with Gabe Velarde because the top three lines are all but set, uh, and we'll get to the top two in a minute here. That third line in Ayafalo, Byfield, and Kaliev, 
Velarde mm-hmm. can play there. He can play either side. Uh, you could go with an all-kid line, Velarde, Byfield, and Kaliev. Uh, you could move Kaliev to the fourth line, and you could play Velarde there uh, some nights. I, here's what I want to say, though, Dennis. I just don't like the idea of playing Gabe Velarde on the fourth line. It's just a waste to me to play Gabe Velarde on the fourth line. While it's great to see him in the lineup, Gabe is not a fourth-line player, and his skill set is such that he needs to be in a top-nine role. Unfortunately, they don't have a spot for him, so yeah. what do you do? Do you just play him on the fourth line to get playing time? or you know, And moving Kaliev down to the fourth line to let Gabe play on that line isn't really an answer either. So I don't know, Dennis. If everyone's healthy, what do you do? And, and remember, you have to reward Grunstrom for his ability. I mean, he got scratched a lot, John, and every time they, they taught, put him back in the line, this guy produced. So you, I, I'm about meritocracy, and I, I mentioned Spence. I feel bad for Spence that he has to go down, and he played really, really well. I, I think Carl is a great fourth-line player. Like He played 10, a little, like almost 11 minutes a night, and he produced. He had nine goals in 54 games playing 11 minutes a night. He needs to be, and that's the type of role player you need. Gabe's, not, I agree. Gabe's not a fourth line player. He's not. It's, but he's not as good a shooter. Arthur Kaliev better stop passing the puck. Like I don't care about passes anymore with Artie. Every time the puck goes on, he's like, shoot the puck, Artie, please. Don't think about making a pretty assist. So it, it's on. Go ahead. No, no, no. I wanted to let you finish. Yeah. I was just going to agree uh, with you. Go ahead, finish. Yeah, yeah. Shoot the puck a million times. Be be really like uh, um, uh, Alex Ovechkin. And just, I'm not worried about assist. I'm hammering the shot. He's got clearly the best shot on the team. But with respect to Gabe, it's it's difficult because there really isn't a spot from the spot he would have would be Kaliev's spot. And right now, I'm playing off for Kaliev because he had 14 goals and he gets more opportunities. And Quinton grows up a little bit more in this season. He's going to get more opportunities. So it, it's tough. But it's good to have that as an option because, like Rob said, his ability to score on the power play net front He's a different player this season, it looks like. Yeah. Um, I do agree that Kaliev has earned that spot uh, over Velarde. You could play Velarde on the left side of that line, and you could drop Ayafalo down if you need to. Um, you could also have a pretty exciting line if you just uh, rested Lemieux and Lazat in the same game. Uh, hear me out. You go Grunstrom on the mm-hmm. left, which is his more natural wing, and then you play uh, Jad at center, and then you play Velarde on the right side. I mean, now you're now you're rolling four lines that are really capable of producing. So that could be interesting in a in a run and gun uh, type of environment. And then you could move Velarde uh, or Kaliev on that night up the lineup if you needed to uh, to get some more minutes there. But to your point, that's why I like Kaliev with Byfield. I kept beating this drum last year. If Kaliev's playing with Byfield, he's going to shoot the puck more. Right. Because he's not going to defer to those NHL veterans. Uh, He's going to he's going to be playing with somebody who's his peer and he's comfortable shooting the puck. And I follow is not going to be the puck hog from a shooting perspective on that line. I follow Byfield Kaliev. Kaliev's the shooter on the line. I mean, you look right at one guy's grinding in the corners. One guy's making plays and one guy's shooting the puck. That's where Kaliev needs to be. It's a different role than what he was asked to play last year on the fourth line playing with Lemieux and Lazat. This is a big opportunity for Kaliev. And uh, yeah, it just comes back to finding a way to get Gabe Velarde in the lineup. But I do like moving Grunstrom over to the left side when you uh, when you rest 48 um, and uh, and then putting putting somebody else there on the right side. Yeah, and the question is, Joe, you know, again, you talk about injuries. Lemieux was not the same player after the injury coming back. He, he was not as effective and not as close. And I think it's it depends on the matchup that night, the type of team that you're playing, where I could see Brenda being scratched. But Brendan needs to be better. He wasn't better in the second half of the season coming back from injury. Um, he, he brings a type of game that they need without question, and he was a very effective player before he got hurt. 
Uh, I'm interested to see what type of Brendan Lemieux you get. I, I want Lazat in the lineup, though. When, again, when you go back and look, he had 10 goals on the fourth line, like in 70 games. And he's plus 15. Um, I, I get getting Jot some games, but I, I think Blake Lazat has found his, his fixture in, in this lineup as a, as a 4C. Yeah, I, I would agree that most nights it's it's his. But uh, again, if you're trying to get your 13th and 14th forward going, sure. you can't you can't let them go 10 games in the press box. They need they need spots in there. Uh, Jad can play on the wing, too. So that's that's another thing there. But anyway, moving on, let's get into the top six here. We talked about I follow Byfield Kaliev. We talked about Lemieux, Lazat, Grunstrom. Let's move to the second line. Trevor Moore, Philippe Deneau, uh, Victor Arvidsson, Swerve. He was ahead of schedule. I guess that was the yeah. biggest uh, clue that we had a couple weeks ago. Victor Arvidsson played in the final Kings preseason game. He's set to go. He's good for opening night. Man, I don't. I don't who's the happiest person right now to know that Moore, Dano, and Arvidsson are back together? Is it Dano? Is it Moore? Is it Todd McClellan? Is it Kopitar? Who, who's the most excited person right now to know that the second line, perhaps the best line on the team last year, is available and ready to go for game one against the Vegas Golden Knights? I think it's the coach because if you had that that line intact for last season's playoff series, it's probably a different story. With Victor Arvidsson, they probably beat – you know, he might have scored that goal at 2-2 in the, in the third period of game six. So I think that Todd's the most excited. Do you have your top six intact with a huge addition on the top line? All right, so uh, Trevor Moore, you asked Rob Blake about the contract extension. You'd have to figure that he is going to sign at some point, whether it's during the year or whether it's the summer. It does make things a lot easier if you get a Trevor Moore deal done in January – um, yeah. it, it gives you a better understanding of your cap situation heading into the trade deadline and then heading into next summer. So you hope that the Trevor Moore thing doesn't doesn't drag on. Hopefully they can come to an agreement. Uh, the I follow thing, it, it drug on right till the very last minute of the trade mm -hmm. deadline. And there was a is he staying? Is he going? Is he going to get five? Is he going to get four? What's going to happen? Every million dollars counts when you're a, a cap team. Uh, right now, Philippe Deneau obviously locked up long term. Victor Arvidsson's going to be here for a while, and I think. Uh, <laughs> How, how Trevor Moore is playing is going gonna, is gonna to play uh, into that conversation as well, right? Uh, depending depending how hot he is, uh, and he certainly was hot in the second half of last year, how hot he is over the first 20 to 40 games. Let's get to the top line, DB. You have Kevin Fiala, big addition. Uh, everyone's excited. You're excited. You, you've been asking for this. They've done it. Mm -hmm. Kopitar still there in the center as the captain of the team. Kempe over on the right side. We could talk about Kempe's regression uh, or potential regression, possibility of it what he needs to do with this new contract in place. But let's start with Kevin Fiala. I put a poll out on Twitter over the weekend, and of course, Kings fans are very optimistic, like every other team at this time of year. Uh, the question was, will Kevin Fiala be the first LA Kings player to score 40 goals since Luke Robitaille did it back in the early 90s? And uh, DB, it basically was a 65-35. 65% of the people said Kevin Fiala will get 40 goals mind-boggling to me db when you think about an offensively starved team uh and and they think that kevin fiala is going to mm -hmm. score 40 goals 40 goals dennis where do you land on this did you vote in the poll and if not what would you have voted yes or I no not i would did not vote in the poll because i was busy in sacramento california <laughs> yes. both places over the weekend yes you were. um okay so he scored 33 with freddie goudreau as his center He's got a little bit better of a center. He's got a 35 goal score on the other wing. Who's going to take? And John, has anybody watched Kevin Fiala play in the preseason? Like that—that's a pretty good bet. I think I'd take that bet that he could get get 40 because I think with Kopitar, he's going to get a ton of ice time. And he played 17 and a half minutes in in Minnesota. He was on the second line. He didn't play with Kaprizov. Uh, yes, there's the opportunity there. But I think more importantly, John, I've mentioned this a couple of times. I even mentioned the tie. 
I think the overall point total is more important than the goal total because if he can facilitate and distribute and help Kempe and help Kobe, Kobe had 19 goals last year. Maybe Kobe goes 25. So I'd take 35 if Kobe gets 25. Uh, I, I'm really impressed with this player. He, again, you mentioned the it factor with the brand clock. This guy is a finisher. The backhand goal he scored the other night, I think it was in Anaheim. Like there's, there's few players that can do that. He was a point a game player. The more important thing to me is can Kevin Fiala be a point a game player in Los Angeles? If they ha- if they can, then they're making the playoffs for sure. And damn it, Dennis, you stole my point because once again we think alike, which is I really don't care how many goals he scores. I'm not playing fantasy hockey. What I right. care about is the LA Kings need to score more goals. They need to have a goal differential that's better than plus three, like it was last year. So it doesn't really matter to me where the goals come from. You can have nine guys on this team scoring 20 goals, and that can sure. be a successful season if they're putting up more goals this season than they did last year and getting that goal differential up above plus three. That, to me, is the biggest factor. Yep. And not relying so heavily upon one particular line. That was another problem they had last year. That second line was great, but you need multiple lines that are going. So let's wrap it up with Adrian Kempe. Dennis, we've talked about that word regression and the potential for it. Kempe. Is he going to exceed his goal total from last year? And if not, where is he going to land? I don't think he'll exceed John, but I think he's going to land in the same region. He's not going to go from 35 to 25 because he knows what's necessary now to score in this league. He's got all the tools. He's got the confidence now. Uh, he's playing with a, a, a great facilitator. You know, Kevin Fiel had more assists than Kopitar last year. right? So, so there's no reason for him not to be in the 30-goal area. And if Kevin's going to come in and add 30 or 35 or 40, the pressure isn't on, going to be totally on him to produce. I, I just watched that uh, that line play in the preseason, and I think they could do great things. So in that range, but I wouldn't be upset if I was a Kings fan if he only had 32 or 31. But I think 30 goals is is certainly achievable. I'd be disappointed if Kempe wasn't a 30-goal scorer again this season. Yeah, I have Kempe written down for 33, but you just mm-hmm. you sort of said something there that is the worry for me in the back of my mind, and that is – is Fiala, it's going to be one of two scenarios, right? Adding that extra playmaker onto that line, you have Fiala, you have Kopitar. Wow, that really sets Kempe up for a monster year, right? Or does Fiala end up stealing some of those goals away from mm-hmm. Kempe? And so that that's the concern um, sort of in the back of my mind. Could, could Kempe end up with 26 because maybe Fiala ends up with 40? But I come back to my, to my earlier point, Dennis. I don't really care who gets the goals. Yeah. Uh, the LA Kings and Todd McClellan right now should be thinking about what can they do to improve 99 points on the season last year? What can they do to improve that goal differential? What can they do to turn their shooting percentage around, which was also not good. And Dennis, Jim Hiller was hired for one reason and one reason only improve the damn power play. So if all of that goes right, the Kings are in for uh, a really good season. That's going to wrap it up, Dennis, unless you have one more point that you'd like to share with everybody as we head into the 2022, 23 season. Yes, for the first time in a very long time, John, Anze Kopitar could not be the leading scorer for this team, which I think 15 out of 16 seasons he's been that way. With Only the presence the Jeff of Carter Fiala. Year. Yep, yeah. yep. With the presence of Fiala, that, that could change, and probably Kopi will welcome it. So you heard it here first, folks. Dennis Bernstein is predicting that Arthur Kaliev is going to lead the LA Kings in goals for the 2022-23 season. DB, it's been fantastic. Season four is upon us. We're going to have a lot of fun this year and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Absolutely, Jay. All right. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you opening night at Crypto.com Arena. Kings, Golden Knights. Here we go again.